Hello and welcome back to Control-Alt-Delete. My guest today is one of the world's most booked motivational speakers in the world. It's Mel Robbins. She's an international best-selling author whose work includes the global phenomenon, The Five Second Rule, which you might have heard of because I feel like it reached millions and millions of people. She's back now with a brand new book called The High Five Habit. And so for any fans of the five second rule, you will love it. And for everyone else, I think you'll love it too. It's a really simple yet profound tool that aims to change your attitude and help combat self-doubt. Lots of people talk about the power of being your own friend. And I really agree with that. I feel that self-compassion is so important. We need to be nicer to ourselves. We need to have a nicer voice in our head. And Mel gives us really tangible advice on how to actually do that. So I hope you enjoy this episode and that you might go and get the book or the audio book. And following Mel's work definitely has a really positive impact on me. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. So I'm beyond thrilled to have Mel Robbins on the podcast. I didn't know this day would come so soon. You are on my wish list for like, you know, one day in the future. So thank you so much for doing this. Oh my gosh. I, I am a huge fan of yours and you don't know this, but we share something very intimate in common. Do you, do you want to guess? It's a very important thing that we share. Something recent that happened to you. Got married. Yes. We have the same wedding date. Oh my God. That's amazing. I yes, didn't know and, that. Yes. And I married a man named Christopher Robbins. He went to high school in the UK. And uh, our 25th wedding anniversary was this year on August 24th. That is super cool. I love that. And hearing stories of anyone that's been married a long time is really inspiring and nice to hear because I'm aiming for that. So that's yes. awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. Extra and can special. I ask you, where did you get those yellow shoes that you wore on your wedding day? I, I literally, when I saw your gorgeous dress, I vroom, zoomed in on the yellow shoes. So they're, they're Manolos that my, a friend sent, sent me the link and said, you should get these. They're amazing. And I got all these comments saying, oh my God, the shoes, the shoes. And I thought, why is everyone going so mental for these shoes? Like, I know they're nice, but they were the ones that Carrie Bradshaw wore when she got married. Oh, is that you know, right? It, in a fictional well, sense. Screw but. Carrie Bradshaw. You <laughs> rock those things. I, I saw them because I'm like, they look amazing on you. So I love, love, love just everything about you. Thank you. Thank you. You too. You too. And um, yeah, a lot of my, a lot of people in my family are also obsessed with you. So they're texting me today saying, you know, I'm very <laughs> jealous. So I wanted to kick off just before we dive into the high five habit, which I read the other day, I felt very lucky to have an early copy. It was, I literally went and had to have quiet time while I read it because I knew my mind was about to be blown. But would you be able to describe just for anyone listening who hasn't yet come to your work, how you got here? Because you had such a big career change. You weren't doing this forever. Could you explain that moment and what led you to this point? Yeah. You know, I'm kind of your classic 10 year overnight sensation, right? <laughs> you know, behind everybody that you stumble into and go, how have I not heard of this person? They've been building in the dark, or at least I have for more than a decade. Um, I never intended to get into personal development. I never intended to write a book. I'm severely dyslexic, very ADHD. I got into this by screwing up my life. And my brand of personal empowerment and inspiring and empowering people is to share the things that I stumbled into 
out of either sheer madness or sheer luck during some of the most challenging and worst moments of my life. I mean, people kind of lead with the accomplishments, right? The, the things that I've created in the last even five years, which in some ways even blows my mind. But the fact of the matter is everything that I'm about to share with you is due to struggling with anxiety for more than 30 years. I took Zoloft for two decades to deal with panic disorder. I have had severe postpartum depression. I have screwed up my life profoundly in many ways because I was just trying to survive. Um, I was, uh, you know, molested at the age of eight, like so many people have that sort of experience. And so I've lived with childhood trauma in my nervous system and only recently have figured out that that's actually been a major uh, issue that has caused me to do things or to live in survival mode and to figure out how to heal it. And so I like to think of myself as your really awesome, fun, positive friend who used to be really fucked up. And I've figured out how to change, how to find a ladder and crawl out of the hole, how to discover simple habits that anybody can practice because they're free and they're kind of dumb and they're profound at the same time and they change your life. And so, you know, my kind of turning point, Emma, into personal development is 13 years ago. So 13 years ago, I was 40 years old. My husband and I had three kids under the age of 10 and we were about to lose everything. And I never in my life plan or vision board put up any images of going bankrupt or being an alcoholic or, you know, being so uh, profoundly whacked with anxiety that I would struggle to get out of bed. That was not my life plan. Um, what happened is my husband uh, got laid off from a corporate job and wanted to go in and follow a dream of opening a restaurant. And the restaurant was just a small pizza joint outside of Boston, Massachusetts. And the first one was a home run. It did really, really well. And so we were complete idiots and cashed out our entire life savings and the kids college fund. And we took out a home equity line on our house because that's free money, right? We cashed out all the credit cards and maxed them out on cash advances. And we shoved it all into trying to grow this restaurant business because what could possibly go wrong in the restaurant business, you know? And what went wrong was just about everything. You know, in the restaurant business, what we now know is that one out of the first four locations almost always fails. It's the wrong location. It's the wrong build out. It's whatever. And it happened to be the second one. And it took all of our money. And I found myself in a situation where all of a sudden it's 2008. The housing crisis hits the United States. We are in a severe economic recession. Our house is upside down. We are eight hundred thousand dollars in debt we have liens on the house the mailbox is full of letters from attorneys wanting to represent us in bankruptcy the phone is ringing off the hook and it is creditors calling and the amount of shame and fear that i felt was like standing under a waterfall and drowning because friends and family had invested in the business and there was still one that was open and doing well. And they were trying desperately to scrape the money together to get the third one open. 
there were weeks that I couldn't buy groceries. I would just stand at the cash register and pray that somehow there would be a electronic glitch and the, the credit card would go through and I would be ready when it wouldn't. I would stand there with my children by my side and I would go, oh, and I'd always cock my head to the right as if I were confused. And then I would say, well, that's weird because it just worked at the gas station. And then I'd say, I'm going to go out to the car because I have a, I have, you know, some more money out there. I'll be right back. I'd grab the kids by the hand and I would walk out that door mm. knowing I had just lied and knowing I was not returning. I was scared to tell my parents I was consumed by anger and shame. And, and it's because it's easier to be angry than it is to be afraid. And so, of course, I faced these overwhelming problems in my life, like a high functioning adult. And that is I drank myself into the ground and numb myself. And I screamed and shouted at my husband every time I saw him, because, you know, the truth is I was just as responsible. I had encouraged him. I had said, yeah, let's go. Let's go all in. I had lost my job. Like I, I was a willing, even though I wasn't part of the business, I was along for the ride and what happened. And this is the most, one of the most profound discoveries of my life. I mean, the five second rule is unbelievable. It's changed the lives of millions of people. I think the high five habit is even more profound, but the five second rule is something I created in this moment. And what happened is, you know, I don't know, Emma, if you've ever been in a moment where life is so bad that you're actually giving yourself a pep talk. You know, that's a pretty low moment when you're kind of like, all right, that's it, Emma. Today, it's the new you. You know, you're going to you got to change, woman. You got you got to pull it together. And that was me. I would literally every night drunk on alcohol. I would literally go, OK, that's it. Tomorrow morning, Mel, you got to pull it together. It's the new you. You are going to exercise. You're going to stop drinking. You're going to be nice to your husband. You're going to get a job. You're going to call your friends. You're going to tell your parents what's going on. You're going to ask for help. You're going to get out of bed. You're going to get these kids on the bus on time. Like I was becoming a person I didn't even recognize, Emma. And then every morning I'd wake up in the same horrible nightmare of a life and I would do the same self-sabotaging stuff to survive. And what's interesting is that we all know what to do. The what is easy. You know, we live in the most extraordinary moment of time. If you don't know what to do or what you want, start Googling and you will get all kinds of advice about what to do. The what is easy. The how is the hard part. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to make myself look for a job when I was so full of shame and doubt and imposter syndrome. I didn't know how to stop drinking when I wanted to be numb. I didn't know how to stop screaming at my husband. I didn't know how to stop snapping at the kids. I didn't know how to beat the crushing anxiety that was there every night when I went to bed and every morning when I opened my eyes. And it was the five second rule that bridged the gap between the what I needed to do and actually the how I got myself to do it. And, and this is what's so amazing about the book is that it's just about such profound change and you describe throughout it, this cycle that you were in. And actually when I heard you describe, you know, the morning to the evening on repeat, We've all been there on varying levels. How do you break that cycle? It's really hard to deliver self-help to someone who really is stuck. And I think that's what this book is so does so well is we need to hear this backstory from you in order to read <laughs> the book and understand that this can happen because, and you say this in the book and it made me laugh, a lot of people could think it's cringy and cheesy, especially in the UK. 
we are oh, very yeah. we are we don't like cheese and I got to the end of the book and I was so happy I read it because you're sort of saying we really need to get to this point where we put all of that aside cheer yourself on yeah yeah so what happened at least with you know this origin story 13 years ago is I was watching TV one night and I was having that lame pep talk with myself and literally this is it's like the universe said okay it's time for the world to know the five second rule and this crazy lady sitting here outside of Boston is going to be the messenger and so I'm sitting there Emma going all right that's it and tomorrow morning when that alarm rings woman you are not going to lay there in bed like a pot roast marinating in fear. And you're not going to hit that snooze button four times. You're going to get your ass out of bed and you're going to get those kids on the bus and you are going to face your day. And all of a sudden, honest to God, a rocket ship launches across the television screen. And I have this crazy idea. It was probably because of the bourbon that I thought of this. I went, that's it. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to launch myself out of bed. I'm going to move so fast. I won't be in that bed when this anxiety hits. And for whatever reason, the very next morning, it was a Tuesday in February, 2008, outside of Boston, Massachusetts, the alarm rang. And here's the thing I want everybody to understand. There is a five second window of hesitation that defines your entire life. It is a window between thinking about what you need to do and actually doing what you need to do. And if you think about what you need to do for more than five seconds, you go from being present to the subconscious part of your brain taking over. The basal ganglia is the part of the brain where all of your self-sabotaging habits are, whether it's the habit of worrying or the habit of procrastinating or the habit of doubting yourself or the habit of overthinking, all those things that are holding you back from doing the things that will change your life. So that morning, I immediately remembered that dumb launch myself out of bed thing. And I started thinking about it, Emma. And when I sit here and tell you the story, if I hadn't launched myself out of bed that morning, if I hadn't just counted backwards, five, four, three, two, one, if I hadn't made that decision, my life would have gone in a totally different direction. I'd be divorced. I'd probably be an alcoholic. My family would have been torn apart. I would have lost everything that mattered to me. I have no idea where I would be right now or what I'd be doing. But that one decision changed the entire trajectory of my life. And the decision was to simply count backwards. Five, four, three, two, one. The same thing that they do to launch a spaceship into space. And something strange happened. For the first time in six months, I got out of bed when the alarm rang. And so I used it in secret for three years. Anytime I felt that I needed to do something, whether it was I need to stop yelling, five, four, three, two, one, come back into my body. I need to not let the emotional wave hijack me and be so reactive, five, four, three, two, one. I need to get out the door and go exercise, five, four, three, two, one. I need to pick up the phone, five, four, three, two, one. I need to say this thing that's going to make this person really upset, but I need to draw this boundary, five, four, three, two, one. And slowly but surely, one push at a time, my whole life changed. And I shared it for the first time on a stage during the first speech I ever gave on, in 2011. I was invited to give a talk about career change. And if you ever watch my TEDx talk, that's the first speech I've ever given. 
And it's basically a 21 minute long panic attack. Like I literally have that chest rash that people get, you know, like the grapefruit of rash on my neck a minute into the thing. It was not about the five second rule. I literally forgot how to end the talk. And so I look out into the audience and go, oh, there's this thing I do. I call it the five second rule. The moment you have an instinct to move, you got to move within five seconds or else your brain's going to kill it. I was so disassociated, Emma. I gave out my email address. I left the stage. I forgot about it. A year later, it goes online. Another year passes. Next thing you know, a million views later, people are writing to me about this five seconds rule and about amazing things. I've lost 100 pounds. I'm able to stay sober. I'm managing my anxiety. I'm reprogramming triggers associated with PTSD. This rule has spread around the world. The science behind it's incredible. It's been validated by the world's leading experts is what they call a starting ritual that helps you interrupt an old pattern and start a new one. And the thing I'm the most proud of with the five second rule is that we know of more than 111 people who have stopped themselves from attempting suicide because they have counted backwards five, four, three, two, one, gotten a moment of control and asked for help. And so I can also stand here today, Emma, and say, despite the fact that the five second rule is the most powerful tool you will ever discover because it's sticky, it's free, it works every time you use it. Anybody of any background, any education, any age can count backwards in any language, five, four, three, two, one. And it will switch off your subconscious and activate your prefrontal cortex and give you a moment where you can think and do what you want to instead of what your mind has trained you to do. And one push at a time, you can change your behavior. You can change how you think. You can change your life. And even though the five second rule has made me so productive and so happy, and it's helped me build this business and it's helped me fundamentally change who I am, the one thing it did not do is it did not address the fact that I still hated myself. And I still, when I looked in the mirror, saw a person that wasn't worthy, that hadn't accomplished what she was supposed to yet. It did not change the fact that I was my biggest critic, that I was super hard on myself, that I was constantly obsessing about what I wasn't doing instead of focusing on what was going right. And the high five habit that I have recently discovered is the most profound thing you will ever learn in your entire life. And I am so passionate about this. You know, I haven't written a book in five years and the high five habit did not come about because I sat there like, okay, I got to write another book. It's got to have the number five in it. The high five habit is the exact same sort of story as the five second rule. It, it, it wasn't ready to be born into the world. It came to me at an extraordinarily low moment that everybody can relate to. And, you know, I believe that, and I know you believe something similar about ideas that they have a life and a spirit of their own. And when they are ready to come into the world, that's when they are born. That's what I love so much is the honesty in this book, because the bit I actually highlighted, I thought it was so profound. Like you're saying, we needed to understand how someone like you even have these thoughts. That's where the real inspiration came from for me as well. I was like, we're all the same and we all need this. You said, I needed reassurance and a pep talk. And even though I'm one of the most successful motivational speakers in the world, I couldn't think of a single thing to say. And I just thought that was like a bit of a mic drop moment of, oh, if Mel needs this, you know, the world needs this. 
I know so many people firsthand in my personal life that use your five second rule. It has changed their life. It has made their relationships happier, their relationships with their kids happier. It's the most practical stuff ever. But what I found from this book was actually it just went a lot deeper as well with this idea that we need to trust ourselves. Yes, it's high-fiving yourself in the mirror. It's so much more than that. And there was something recently where I was doing a talk to about 2,000 people. I hadn't done it for, well, a year because of lockdown. And I just said to myself, I trust you. I trust you. You're going to be okay. You're going to do this. And it was just the things that you want to hear from other people, you need to tell yourself. That's what I got from this book. I'm so happy because for me, this book was not a book. It was a vehicle to get something to open up inside of you and to get you to think more deeply about the human being that is staring back at you every single morning in the mirror and how you have spent a lifetime criticizing her or ignoring her, that we've spent a lifetime waiting for somebody else to come into our life and make us feel whole and worthy and valid and forgiven. And you have an opportunity every single morning to make yourself feel that way. And it is so foundational and so fundamental. And the high five gesture in the mirror, which you know we're going to unpack for you because it's really important to understand from a scientific standpoint why it actually feels weird. It's really important to understand from a psychological standpoint why you're going to resist this and unpack that because the resistance that you feel to doing it is the resistance that's keeping you from being fulfilled and happy and content and inspired by who you are and by the life that you deserve to create for yourself. And so the way that I discovered this high five habit is, you know, I think we all remember, and this is not a pandemic book at all, but for the benefit of you understanding what was happening in my life and how I'm not immune to this same thing, just because I have all this stuff that I've done, doesn't mean that internally the dialogue isn't still a horror show, just like it is for everybody else. And so, you know, I think every one of us remembers, Emma, that moment when you're like, oh my God, Like my life is about to change, whether I like it or not, because of the pandemic. Do you remember what that moment was for you, Emma? I think it was just being aware that we're going through a collective change Mm. and that even if I was feeling a certain way, I wasn't the only one. And it was the first time I've ever felt low and not felt like, oh, just me. Like we were all going through it. And I actually broke open in a different way to new connection because- when we talk about the high five habit and how it started, I didn't realize that it started on social media and I didn't realize that it was kind of an organic thing, wasn't it? Like, like you said, totally. you didn't necessarily sit down to write this book. Um, it, no. it gained momentum. Like you say, it's the right time for it. How did that happen on Instagram? Well, what happened was this. So the backdrop was that, um, you know, look, when the pandemic hit, I was in my dream job. I had always dreamt of having a job like, you know, Donahue or Oprah Winfrey and being a talk show host. And at the age of 51, my dream came true. And I launched a daytime talk show here in the United States. And we were in the middle of season one. And uh, all of a sudden, somebody walked into the studio at CBS Broadcast Center in New York and said, we've just found COVID in the building you need to evacuate immediately. And just like that, everything changed. And uh, the show was canceled. I was fired from my dream job. I didn't get a chance to say goodbye to the 130 people I had worked with every day for a year, taping those 167 shows. 
And as I drive home to Boston, Massachusetts, where we live, the phone started to ring. And it was one daughter of ours who was a junior in college over studying in Spain, hysterical. I just heard they're going to close the borders. How do I, I need to get out and get home? Then the next, the phone rang again. It was our other daughter. She goes to a university in California, hysterical. They're shutting down the university. What's happening? What's happening? And so the first three weeks was like a tsunami of emotion, grieving kids, anger, frustration, uh, the lockdown. I mean, I don't think I took off my pajamas for three weeks. I started drinking Bloody Marys at 11 o'clock in the afternoon, like it was Harry Potter and Glee marathons at the house. And then all of a sudden, my business was in a free fall. Not only had I gotten fired from my dream job, but I was literally the book contract that I had failed to write for a year got canceled and I had to return the money they had given us, money I'd already spent. Every speech started getting canceled. And so I started to get triggered and think about being in that financial freefall that we were in in 2008. And the anxiety came back and I started to be worried about my kids and about me and about the people that work for me and about whether or not I was going to be able to make payroll. And I started to worry about frontline workers and the state of the world. And I just started sinking in that collective soup, just like everybody else. And one morning I woke up and I felt completely overwhelmed and completely beaten down. And I used the five second rule, like I always do, five, four, three, two, one, I got out of bed. And I think that's an important note that everybody you should know, it's 13 years later, and I still have trouble getting out of bed. I still use the five second rule. I think that, you know, that rule that it's 21 days for a new habits is baloney. It's 21 days if you like the new habit. You know, it might be a lifetime of needing to push yourself if it's something that you don't like doing. So five, four, three, two, one, I drag myself out of bed. I make my bed because I always make my bed. And on that morning, I made it so I wouldn't crawl back into it, Emma. And then I drag myself to the bathroom and I'm standing there in my underwear, brushing my teeth. And I'm feeling the stress of the day starting to weigh me down. And I catch a glimpse of my reflection. And I think, oh my God, you look like hell. And I start to pick myself apart like I always do the dark circles under my eyes, the kind of stripes on my neck as I'm getting older. One boob is hanging lower than the other. My skin on my stomach is all crinkly. My gray hair is coming in. The woman in the mirror looked overwhelmed, exhausted, burdened, lonely. I honestly felt sad for her. And you know, what's interesting, Emma, is if you had walked into the bathroom that morning, I would have been able to turn on a dime and been like, Emma, it's okay, honey. You don't deserve any of this. You got this. If anybody can handle this, Emma, it's you. We're going to be okay. I would have been able to boom, pivot and, and, and pep you up and give you the pep talk and send you on your way. I would have been masterful at it. But standing there with myself, I couldn't think of a single thing to say. And you know, the fact is, Emma, I don't think I would have believed it if I had tried to pep myself up. One of the most moving things in the book for me as well was hearing or seeing even the text message from your daughter and how, you know, this is something that can run in our family. It can be something that happens to people very, very close to us. I don't know if there's anything closer than your own daughter. I don't know how that must feel when they are having an anxiety kind of spiral. But that was the real key message for this is we have to big ourselves up because you were saying that. It doesn't even matter if you gave her all the compliments. It doesn't even matter if you said you're amazing, you're, you're amazing. 
if you don't believe it, you don't believe it. You kind of have to look in the mirror and tell it yourself. You can reassure them. You can model amazing behavior, but you cannot change the things that somebody says to themselves. And the text message that Emma's referring to is literally in the middle of writing this book. One of our daughters sent me a text that said, why am I always the ugliest one at the bar? Now, that's the kind of text that breaks your heart. And we've all received it from a friend, from a family member, some version of that. Why do I always screw things up? Why does nothing ever work out for me? Why, why can I never meet somebody? Why am I always the biggest one? How you see yourself when you look in the mirror is everything. And right now, when you look in the mirror, you see somebody that is too big or too tall or whose hair is too kinky and your skin is too light or too dark or too this or too that. You see everything that you regret. You see everything that you're not. In fact, one of the reasons why most people resist high-fiving themselves in the mirror is because, and this is sad, when you stand in front of the mirror, you bring with you a lifetime of judgment. You drag into that bathroom between you and the human being that's in the mirror. Everything that's ever been done to you, the trauma, the abuse, the heartache, and you hold that and you say, because of that, I'm not lovable. That's evidence right there that I'm damaged, that I'm not good enough, that I'm not lovable. You bring with you everything that you've done that you wish you hadn't have done, that makes you feel ashamed, things that you did simply while you were trying to survive, whether it was the drugs or the cheating or the uh, you know, betrayal of yourself or the things you stole or whatever it is, the, the, the opportunities that you squandered. And you say that right there, that's evidence that I am not good. The number on the scale, the car you drive, where you live, whether or not you went to university, whether or not you have kids, all of it is before you. And you use that every morning to indict yourself. And it's almost like that shame and secrecy almost of like, only you know how awful you truly are, the person standing in front of you. And I know that you mentioned Martha Beck in the book and how you have this moment of thinking, oh my goodness, like this woman, I need to do life coaching. And I've interviewed her before and she's incredible. And I know that she says that the one thing you can do is not hold these secrets, you know, tell people, don't hold it inside you like you're the only one feeling these things. And I think there's something about that sort of mirror engagement is something about opening up and sort of not keeping it so in. Yes. Okay. So let's unpack this high five habit. I hope you're enjoying this conversation with Mel Robbins. This is the first part of the episode. So you can go and listen to part two, which is available now. <laughs> 